Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs, and the Nile will swarm with frogs and shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up to you and on your people and all your servants." And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up out on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say so, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, and he had agreed to with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. But they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. I recently 
heard an argument from an atheist who's a comedian, and he tried to make the case that he's not much different from a Christian, that a Christian does not believe in the pantheon of gods that are out there. Let's say if he put a number on it, there's 10,000 gods. They only believe in one god. And he went on to explain that it doesn't really matter if, he does, if you don't believe in 10,000 gods and I don't believe in 10,001 gods. Now, clearly his argument is not one of sophistication. Argument like saying that there's 10,000 wrong answers in a math problem. So therefore, there's no such thing as a right answer to the problem. But one of the major themes in this section of Exodus in the signs and wonders, these acts of judgment commonly called the plagues, is the Lord God Almighty showing his power over the gods of Egypt. You see this in, clearly in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And what makes Christianity unique, along with Judaism and Islam, is that they share a similar story uh, in the beginning of Abraham, often called the Abrahamic religions. But often during these cultures in the times of the Bible and throughout many different uh, cultures, what they would say is they would have a pantheon of gods. They would have gods for everything and everything. They wouldn't just have one main god, but they would have a, a specialist god in a specialist region. Like today, you, you might have previously gone to see your GP, and your GP would solve any problem that you brought to them. Any doctor would be able to help you, assist you, but... Now you go to your GP and he says, well, I've got to send you to the, the left nostril doctor. I've got to send you to your right foot doctor. And they go send you to a specific doctor, to a specific thing that is specialized, and this is what the gods of the culture was like. That here they would have a particular god for a particular reason. Today we would have a particular app for a certain thing. There's an app for that. You go find out what that is. And they would say, well, we have a God for that. In Acts chapter 17, here Paul visits the Areopagus, and, and he, he speaks to these men, he's, he, is he st and he stands before them and says that you are religious. I can tell you're religious. As I was walking through your town, I see that you're very religious. They have idols set up everywhere for their worship. And he ends up saying that, that as he walks through, he, he points and he finds an idol, an inscription. And he says, to the unknown God. And he says, what you do not know, what you worship as unknown, I am here to be able to proclaim to you. And here Pharaoh did not know of God. In, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, he, he explains, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice, let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let the Israel go. 
And here in the, these plagues, these signs and wonders, these acts of judgment, God shows his power over all of these gods, his providence over all of creation, his preservation and, and, and salvation of God's people, his punishment of the Israelites, uh, the Egyptians. And here we see God show his power and his might over all of these false gods. You see there in verse 10, this plague happens, as Moses explains, and taken away so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. There is no God like our God. And it's not merely just an attack against Pharaoh. We often think this is a battle against Pharaoh's stubborn will. But it's also a battle against Pharaoh's sinful worship. That here in Egypt, they worship the creation. As Paul spells out in Romans chapter 1, that the, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And here, this is like worship wars of the gods in which they worship. Exodus 12, verse 12 is a great verse for that, or also Numbers chapter 33, when they're recounting their story of how they came out of the land of Egypt. They came out after, it says in verse 3, on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were still burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. And he says, on their gods also the Lord executed judgments. And here, God is showing his power and his might over these false gods. That he is unique, he is one. There is no God like the God of the Bible. The first thing that we see is there's no God has his knowledge. That no God has his knowledge. See this clearly throughout all of the, the, the passages in, 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 these, in this section, but clearly in verse 2 and 3 here, the Lord tells Moses, as he's instructing Pharaoh, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs and shall come into your house and into your bedroom, and into your bed, and on your house, and on your servants, and your people, and all into your ovens, and your kneading bowls. Here we see God's knowledge to be able to go and be able to say, this is what's coming. To be able to say that tomorrow there's going to be an infestation of frogs. It, it shows his power even of, of the knowledge of what is to come. His power, not merely just in, in being able to carry it out, but his power in being able to tell. And you see this throughout all of this section. Pharaoh says, plead with him. When shall you go plead with him? Well, he says, tomorrow. 
Well, tomorrow comes up time and time again when the Lord says, tomorrow the frogs will be gone. Tomorrow I will do this. Tomorrow I will do that. God shows his foreknowledge in all of what happens. Even as we, we looked earlier in, the, in Exodus here, God is telling us all the storyline before it even happens. Now, why can't their gods predict any of this? Set up an army or something to be able to oppose God's ways? They're unable to. They don't hold tomorrow in their hands. They do not know what is coming. That God alone is the one who knows. In Isaiah chapter 55, a great verse to be able to go and read through this afternoon as we think about the uniqueness of God. But here... Isaiah writes, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge of who can carry about their wooden idols, and keep on praying to God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous, and a, sa- a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Here Isaiah is writing, and he explained that these wooden idols in which they carry about and worship, these idols which come from a tree in one end, they cut and mold an idol, and the other they burn and, ba- and cook and eat food. He says, they have no knowledge. They have no knowledge of what is to come. And he points out here that here God knows, haven't I told you this from the very beginning? Haven't I declared it to you? There is no other God like me. Turn to me, be saved. And here are these these idols in which the Egyptians worshipped. We looked at last week, the attack on the Nile was really an attack on Hopi, one of the main gods, the, 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 the god of life, represented in the image of a man with a pregnant belly and a beard. It produced life in all of Egypt, but what did it produce? Death. And even frogs in this time there's another God which they worshipped, a God of fertility. Sacred, and some commentators even believe that the, the Egyptians couldn't kill frogs because they thought it's such a sacred animal. Thus, this is why Pharaoh asks and pleads with them, you need to ask God to be able to take this infestation away. And here, these, they would bow down and worship this image of a frog to bring forth life. And what happens in this plague? God chose his power over this God to be able to produce more frogs. 
what they would say is a blessing of fertility is actually a curse to them. And there, this God in which they worshipped and bowed down and said, bring us life, doesn't in fact bring life to them. It ends up leading to death. We're in the plague of the gnats. The God of Seb. The God of earth. And yet Moses, where do these gnats come from? Through Aaron touching the dust, rises up all these gnats from the ground. There's no God who has his knowledge. The second thing is there's no God that has his power to create. In all of this, we must realize that all of this comes by the mighty hand of God. To be able to try and picture this is, is quite an extensive thing. The Nile is, is, is quite a big river, but compared to the land mass of Egypt, is quite a different story. To be able to have all the frogs, to be able to fill the Nile, to be able to come and cover the land of Egypt is quite a terrific task. But yet, what we're told is there's so many frogs, they cover the whole land of Egypt. And, and their point here is that they go into the house of Pharaoh, they go into the house of the servants, they go into every nook and cranny over all the earth. And it's not, again, that these, these frogs just appear out of nowhere in the sense that they come from the Nile, but many commentators believe that here the Lord is creating these frogs to be able to come into this land. Or again, the image of gnats. From the dust rises up all these gnats. God here is able to create. Now what is interesting is the magicians have also been able to replicate some of these things. They've been able to replicate the staff to serpent. They've been able to replicate the uh, water to blood. They're able to replicate all the frogs coming out, as you see in verse 7. They're able to make these frogs come up onto the land of Egypt. But here, throughout all of this, we're, we're seeing that it comes from the power of God. The staff in which is held in Aaron's hand is a critical part throughout all of these signs and wonders. Given in the end of chapter 3 and 4, as God sends out Moses, take this staff, shows his power. The God alone is able to be able to do these wondrous things. Not merely that he is able to make them appear, but he's able to cause them to die. The magicians are only able to recreate the thing that brings chaos into the land of the Egyptians. If their gods were so powerful, would it not be that their gods would be able to take them away? But they do not. What do they do? They make more frogs to come out. There is no God like the God of the Bible. As Psalm 86 says, For you are great and do wondrous things. 
But here, beginning Isaiah chapter 45, thus says the Lord in verse 18, who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. It is this God that shows His power and His might over to be able to create all of these things. To be able to do them. Not merely did He create the world, but He created it and inhabited it. In all of this, we see that there is the third and final point. That no God has His power to save. Now Pharaoh has all of these pantheon of gods to be able to go and ask for help. To go and pray and ask for deliverance. Well, Hoppy can't help me. Heck can't help me. Seb can't help me. Who, who else could I go to? Surely, you can get out the, the phone book of gods. Who do we need to go to? For frog removal specialist. Who's the frog removal specialist God. Surely there is a God that they could go to and pray to be able to help. But Pharaoh does not turn to those gods because those gods do not exist. He turns and asks Moses, ask the Lord to help us. This is the first time that we see Pharaoh acknowledged the Lord. In verse five, in two, in verse five, he says, "Who is the Lord?" But this is the first time he not merely knows externally, but he says with his mouth, and he asks Moses to go and pray to his God. When do you want me to go do it? Moses says, "Tomorrow." Now, this can be many different reasons why tomorrow. Why not now? Maybe Pharaoh was hoping that something would change in that time. There would be a cause that would make this shift. But I think in all this, I think the best example that I saw was that Pharaoh said that he was showing his power, trying to have some control over the situation. He is sitting here, he's praying to his gods, and their gods are unable to save him. He is unable to do anything. And yet he has a choice. (laughs) When do you want it done? I'm going to show my power and my might. Tomorrow would be good. This builds. This, This is a theme that kind of builds throughout these plagues and signs and wonders, these acts of judgment. Is that tomorrow becomes the day in which things happen. There's a warning. There's a period of grace, but tomorrow it will come. It builds until the very last sign and wonder where tomorrow is done. Tomorrow has come. That here, we see God's power and might over all the gods of Egypt. Look what happens. 
verse 10 to 13. Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord your God. The frog shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died in the houses, the courtyards, the fields. Here we see God's power of knowledge when it's going to happen. Moses being able to say, this is what's going to happen. The frogs shall go away from your houses and your servants and your people. What happened? God's power to be able to do it. God's power to be able to create. God's power to be able to save. As Israel will proclaim in the great song of Moses in Verse 15, in chapter 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? Well, the answer is there is none. There is none like God. That salvation only comes through God. As the apostles say in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven being given among men which we must be saved. But yeah, what is Pharaoh's response in all of this? Here the frogs die out. There's a stench, a smell. After seven days of dead fish filling the air, now there's another smell of dead frogs heaped in piles across the land of Egypt. But yet what is Pharaoh's response? In verse 15, he thinks, great. Isn't this nice? And he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord has said. He sees this. God's power, God's knowledge, God's Ability to save. He does not bow down and worship. He hardens his heart. Then comes the third plague of the gnats. Again, showing all forth all of these things. But it's not announced to Pharaoh, it just merely happens. He doesn't, the Lord doesn't tell Moses to go say to Pharaoh, he just says, go say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats on the land of Egypt. That's exactly what happened. However, this is different. The magicians, who were able to replicate the serpent to staff, the blood to water, the, the frogs appearing out of the Nile, they go and try, but yet they are unable to do it. Their gods are unable to be able to replicate this sign. Out of all the signs so far, this seems so minuscule. To bring forth a, a frog out of some water to be able to turn water, you know, they, they seem like quite magnificent things to be able to do, and yet here they cannot even make these gnats appear. And their response, they go to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. 
They're able to see God's hand at work in this. Now these gnats, it's an interesting word. Gnats, lice, mosquitoes, that seems like a terrible plague. But yet, they're unable to do it. But what is Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The people can know of God's wonder and his glory, and yet still not seek to be able to bow down, worship him, serve him. Actually, this is exactly what happens throughout all the the Gospels' accounts. In Luke chapter 11, here Jesus is able to be able to cast out a demon from a mute man. And the people stand there and and marvels, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do the son, your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks them and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now Jesus' main point here is showing this divided kingdom principle, but here he attests and he calls his works. Where do they come from? He says that this is the finger of God that shows his power and his might, and yet when confronted with these things, the Pharisees then point and explain, well, it can't come from God. They see God's works and wonders clearly, and yet they do not attest and point to them. Like Pharaoh, they they harden their hearts, giving excuses and reasons why this happens. Christ comes in, shows his power and his might, shows his, his, his knowledge that there is none like him. That he knows all things. That he shows his power to be able to heal and to save. And what do people do? They harden their hearts. They turn. Some might say, tomorrow. They do not acknowledge him as Lord. They do not acknowledge him as Savior. Let that not be of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that your word clearly shows that there is only one true and living God, and that is you.
the one who has all knowledge and power. Lord, let us bow down and worship you, the living, true God. Forgive us when we have turned to worship things in creation rather than the Creator. Forgive us when we have put idols before us. Help us, Lord, that we might acknowledge and worship you with our whole soul, mind, and being. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.